Jazz first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. We do this each and every week. Here's how you get involved. You can just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Just tweet at me whenever you're thinking of a question or wait for Monday mornings when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet you get in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or you're just someone who doesn't want to send me a tweet, you can send me an email. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address. Again, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Send me a note there. You'll get in the show. So without further ado, let's get into it. The first question of the day comes from Hamilton from Gmail who says, Do you think Gary Trent Jr. will turn into an all-star type player? And we're going to talk a lot about Gary in this first segment. This is what the people want to know about is Gary. He's been balling in the bubble. Um, Didn't get a ton of shots against the 76ers on Sunday. Uh, he's a guy who needs some a little bit of help creating his own offense. So sometimes it's out of his control, but I don't think the Blazers did a very good job of getting your boy some shots. But prior to that game, he'd really been fantastic, even a late miss against the Clippers aside. Gary has been the story of the bubble, one of the real breakout players. Devin Booker, TJ Warren, and Gary Trent Jr. for my money. The three biggest stories of the bubble so far. But... That next step that you're asking about here, Hamilton, is a big old leap. And I don't think Gary Trent Jr. will turn into an all-star type player. I think he can be a very good player, a very high-level contributor, even a long-term starter in the pros. But that leap from very good to all-star is just such a big one. You even look at a guy like CJ McCollum, who's been a 20-point scorer now for about four seasons. And quite frankly, C.J. McCollum's never sniffed an all-star team. He's never been close. Like, I don't think you could say that C.J. McCollum has been snubbed from an all-star team. He has been really good and never deserving. That's a big leap to make for anyone. The West, particularly in the West, but but anywhere, it's, it's tough to do. So no, I think Gary Trent Jr. will be really, really good. But that plays into a next question. This one comes from Logan Gillis, at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who says, Floor... Or ceiling comps, floor and ceiling comps for Gary Trent Jr. using only former University of North Carolina players who made the NBA. And I think this will help paint the picture for Hamilton's questions, why I group them together. My floor for Gary Trent Jr. is Reggie Bullock, Kinston, North Carolina's own, who currently plays for the New York Knicks who's played seven seasons in the league and is a backup wing who can shoot and defend a little bit. That's Gary Trent's floor. He's a, his floor, he's probably already, he's probably already better like in the last month than Reggie Bullock's ever been, but Bullock, a, a contributor who can play for a lot of teams will, you know, end up playing a decade in the league as a, as a three and D type who doesn't bring much else to the floor. And, isn't particularly dynamic either as a shooter or as a uh, or as a defender. He's mostly just competent at both things, so he always will have a job. But my ceiling for Gary Trent Jr. is Daniel Green. That's Danny Green, the two-time NBA champion. And you might say, Mike, what the hell, dog? Danny Green is a role player. And I would counter with saying Danny Green is the best role player in the NBA, perhaps. Wherever Danny Green has been, 
He has won, and he has won at a high level because he's really good. He was a second-team all-defensive player after the 2016 season. He was probably one Chris Bosh rebound away from winning NBA Finals MVP in 2013 when, of course, the Heat came back and won Game 6 and 7, but Danny Green has set an NBA Finals record for three-pointers, and he was just fantastic in that series, guarding LeBron a little bit and just being just being who he is. He's an he's just he's an elite 3 and D guy. He's an he's an all-time great teammate. The Spurs of course won the championship the following season. Kawhi Leonard was Finals MVP and then Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard again won a championship last season with the Toronto Raptors. Danny Green ends up on the Lakers this year and surprise surprise, they have the best record in the West. He's an elite, an elite 3 and D guy. And I think that's my ceiling for Gary Trent Jr. is that I don't see him as a star, but I see him that he could be one of these just absolutely perfect complementary pieces. Danny Green's going to play 15 years in the NBA because what he does is he's one of the best transition defenders in the league still at his age. He shoots it. He hasn't shot very well in Orlando, but when he's on, he's really on. He can really, really shoot it, and he can guard. And if you can do those things, and Gary Trent Jr. looks like someone you can do those things, you can be an elite fourth option. And not even fourth option. You can be elite fifth starter. You can be someone who comes in and plays and helps teams win games at the absolute highest level. And for me, that's Gary Trent Jr.'s ceiling. Speaking of All-Stars, Kurzog at Kurzog on Twitter says, which three non-Dame Blazers have the best chance to become future All-Stars? Well, here I'm going to go back on my own, my, own pl- my own prediction. I'll say the best chances right now are CJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, and Gary Trent Jr. Probably in a Nurk, CJ, Gary Trent. I don't think, if I had to bet, I'd say none of them make the All-Star team, but certainly Nurk has the highest chance of making it. Um, it's just, there's a lot of barriers to entry to make the All-Star team. It's not easy. So if, if I'm having to pick three non-dames, Gary Trent makes the list. So um, that's the threshold. Which brings me to the next Gary Trent Jr. question that everyone's asking. Louis Olenek, Louis R.S. Olenek on Twitter says, Does Gary Trent Jr.'s accelerated development at shooting guard make a guy like C.J. McCollum expendable sooner in a potential trade? I love C.J., but he's one of the few assets the Blazers have that might net the kind of player in return that addresses a real need. Austin Tyler at AustinNew21 on Twitter asks, With the surprising emergence of scary Gary Trent Jr., does the argument for breaking up the Money McCollum and Dame Time duo gain more traction in your mind? The Blazers could finally address their wing depth with a trade piece like CJ. However, Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka28 on Twitter says, As a Blazer fan, I fall prey to overreacting quite a bit, but I'm not a fan of people saying to trade CJ and start Gary or that Gary is the starting small forward we need. I think Gary is going to be an awesome six man, but we need a starting small forward after this season. Well, my goodness, I do. I, here's what I'll say. I think if you were just to bring trade CJ for, let's say, competent, competent return but let's 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 address that in a second but if you trade cj you clear the decks and you move gary trent into a role that cj has been assuming i don't think that's gonna work cj creates a ton of offense for himself he um he works off dame because when teams go get dame cj can break a man down one-on-one and score as good as gary trent jr is i don't think he's there yet and i don't think he looks like that's going to be a big part of his game can he get loose on a couple dribble moves and get a jumper off hell yeah can he get to the rack on straight line drives hell yeah but can he wiggle and dance and lead a team when he is that sort of 1b option as a creator i don't think so i think that's it's a big step down however 
If the Blazers are going to swing for the fences while Damian Lillard is still one of the top 10 players in the league and the, maybe the best point guard in the NBA, I think you got you have to entertain trading C.J. McCollum. I don't think it's super easy. I don't think C.J. McCollum's uh, contract is super sexy to other teams. I don't think I don't think teams are looking really looking to take on a, a 29-year-old with his deficiencies making as much money as he's making. I, I, I don't think that's there's a lot of teams clamoring for that. I certainly don't think there's a lot of teams willing to give up you know, borderline all-star forwards in exchange for C.J. McCollum. I think the problem with trading him is you're going to obviously take a step back. And I don't think if, I don't, not obviously going to take a step back. You're very likely to take a step back. Even if the parts fit better, you might just lose out on total talent. Now, the bet here is that Gary Trent Jr. checks some boxes defensively that C.J. McCollum doesn't, and, and the wing that you theoretically trade for checks some boxes that the, uh, the wing that doesn't exist on the Blazers roster right now, uh, the boxes that person doesn't check, with all due respect to Rodney Hood and Trevor Reza. But I think... If there were that, if that wing was available out there, the Blazers probably would have already made the trade. And I think even if you get if you get parts that make more sense, and you get and like I said, these maybe these parts make more sense. Maybe it works out for you. But I think it's tough. I think I just don't. While I am open to saying the the Blazers might have some parts that can fill in for what CJ does, I don't think that there's an obvious trade or not even obvious trade. I don't think that trade exists because I don't think teams are willing to give up quality wings. It's just too hard to do. So while I would explore it, I would I would pick up the phones. If people offer trades, I would I would get on the phones and explore them. I don't have a lot of I'm not confident that gets done. So that's it. First segment all about Gary Trent. We're talking Gary today. We're going to talk about other stuff in the second segment. More of your questions. But first, I want to tell you all about CBDMD. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair. Everyone needs support to make it through the day. And luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. There's CBD Freeze with Menthol. It's an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. And then there's CBD Recover, which combines CBD with the inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try this duo of topicals and everything else CBDMD has to offer, they're offering my listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's cbdmd.com with the promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. All right. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. We talked a lot about Gary Trent, but let's talk about other stuff now. This next question comes from... Lewis Olenek, Lewis R.S. Olenek, getting your second question in the show, asks, was Mark Mason one of the 35 invited to the Disney restart? Without being sure, it seems like some teams have their official PA person present for designated home games, and I feel like Mason being there would help create a better illusion of home court advantage. Mace is not there. Mace is in Portland running his daily radio show on 1190. Check him out on AM radio. They do play his... Uh, when Blazers designated home games, they do play Mark Mason's in- player intros on the broadcast. So you do get, as you called it, an illusion of home court advantage. But Lewis, that's all it is. It's an illusion. Mace, Mace is in town. 
Next question comes from Lel at the Blazer fan on Twitter. The Blazers fan on Twitter. What a what a handle! Congratulations, Lel, for getting that one. Lel asks, "I've been waiting to break this one out. What are the play-in tiebreakers scenarios for the Blazers? Specifically, wondering about the tiebreaker between Portland and Memphis. Blazers a half game back of the Memphis Grizzlies, and and Lel, the Blazers fan, they're not going to end up with the same record due to the season suspension." Not all the teams play the same number of games, so the first tiebreaker being win percentage favors Portland in every matchup of the teams chasing them. Phoenix, San Antonio, Memphis, nobody can finish with the same record. If the Blazers go 2-0, they are in the play-in game. After that, the tiebreakers are head-to-head, followed by division record if the teams are in the same division. doesn't apply to anyone chasing the Blazers. Then it would be conference record, then conference record against playoff teams then record against playoff teams in the East, then finally net rating. We're not going to get that far. It's going to be head-to-head and then division and then conference record. Those that would That's as far as we'll get down there. But I do like that it finally ends with net rating. Shout-out to my advanced stat nerds. Uh, but there's the Blazers win the tiebreaker because of percentage points. They played more games before the season was halted, and it really worked in their favor. Next question comes from Jonathan at JSAS on Twitter who says, I'm guessing it's that the Trailblazers rely almost completely on offense to win, but why do you think they struggle to close out games? I'm worried the Mavs are going to rest and are going to rest, and Brooklyn is Brooklyn, and yet I still don't feel confident they can shut anyone down. Yeah, their defense sucks. That's one of their big problems. They're, they're sucky on defense. They, they're bad at it. They let everyone score. Anyone who's like a borderline NBA player can go give the Blazers buckets. They're bad at every part of defense. They, they switch too easily. Sometimes they switch inconsistently, leaving a big in a weird place, either dropping back when he should be switching or switching too early and getting caught in isolation. They're bad at transition defense. They're bad at one-on-one defense controlling the ball. Sometimes they just let the guy get let their man get to the rim too easily or sometimes they let the man get to the rim too easily and help out and then they suck at the second rotation to guard the ball anywhere else. So one pass or a second pass, a swing swing can beat them for an easy shot. You've seen it a million times. I've talked about it here pretty in depth. So I, the minute I just gave it was probably too much, but the, one of the reasons why I um, they struggle to close out games is not just um, the defense. I think that's definitely the biggest part of it. But against the Clippers, their offense just went just disappeared, and their offense disappeared because the Clippers had a plan. Their plan was to kind of zone up and double team Dame, get the ball out of his hands super early around half court, and let anyone else beat them. And the Blazers just got super stagnant against that defense and started just chucking up bad outside shots. Either Nurk or Carmelo or Gary Trent Jr. all got shots that the Clippers want them to take. I mean, as good as Gary Trent Jr. is, the Clippers want him to take those shots as long as it's not Damian Lillard and probably as long as it's not CJ McCollum. Uh, in the end of that game, the only time the Blazers got a, a, a point, basically, in the final... Uh, four minutes was out of a timeout when they ran a pick and roll that involved some movement that came from an out of timeout play drawn up by Terry Stotts. I think Stotts deserves some bl- some blame absolutely for the stagnant offense, but he's not calling all those plays. That's on Dame. That's on the guys on the floor. They have to take some ownership of that. Next question comes from Dan Zeal at Dizzy Zebo on Twitter, who says, "Hassan really hurt, or just his feelings hurt?" 
So I saw this floating around on the internet that people were assuming that maybe, or not assuming, but people were questioning whether Hassan Whiteside was faking this injury. He's dealing with a left hamstring issue. Um, that never really crossed my mind. He was he he missed a scrimmage game dealing with a calf and Achilles injury in, or issues in his left leg. Um, that just sounds like a dude who's dealing with a bad wheel. So it wasn't his it wasn't his lower leg. Now it's in his upper leg. I mean, this just this to me, this checks out. I think there was also some speculation because of the way Terry Stotts answered a question following the game when he said there is no timeline on there is no update on Hassan. And there is no timeline. You all just got to see the type of bullshit that Terry Stotts does where he doesn't like to answer questions about injuries. He does that all the time in media sessions. He wasn't being coy because there was some major injury happening. He was being coy because that's how Terry Stotts does it. And it is insulting and stupid. It doesn't help anyone. In fact, it fueled the speculation that one of his players was maybe faking an injury. Someone who knows Terry Stotts is listening. Tell your boy that more in, more information would help. In fact, Terry, for listening, that'd be weird. But you you can just you can just tell the truth. You don't know, or he's doing fine, and you'll see later. But being coy makes people speculate. But in any case, Hassan Whiteside upgrade to probable. I would I would say he's likely to play against the Dallas Mavericks. And for my money, he was always hurt. Terry Stotts just handled it poorly. Next question comes from Jonathan at JSass on Twitter, who says, Maybe I put too much faith in Damian Lillard, but I think everything that happened in the Clippers game could be the key reason the Trailblazers make a run in the playoffs. There's always something that seems to kick Damian to gear for a push. Is this it? I talked about this on yesterday's show, the show I posted on Monday. Um, it's talk, talking about Damian's beef with the Clippers and then his 51-point game against the Sixers. And I answered it there so you can go back and listen, but... I don't believe that narrative. Hell no. If the stuff that happened in the Clippers game, if it has any impact, it'll be the reason the Blazers don't make the playoffs. Straight up. It'll be because they lost a game they absolutely should have won. It won't be fuel. I don't buy that narrative. A bad loss doesn't help. You know what would help? If the Blazers had won that game, they'd be a half game ahead in eighth place right now. I talked about it more in the previous podcast, so uh, I'm just popping off now. But yeah, you can go back and listen uh, just the most recent one in your feed before this one. And I, I went more in depth on that idea of that narrative in the first segment. So, you know, listen to that first 10 minutes. Check it out. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter who says, let's say the Blazers win the next two and move into the eighth spot. Who would you rather see them play in the playing games? Memphis, Phoenix, or San Antonio? Which is easier win for the Blazers, but also which combo would be most entertaining? Easier, I have no idea. I think it's Memphis because I think they have the least talent of the of the three teams remaining. But that's crazy because I also thought that the San Antonio Spurs had no talent left. Um, if Derek White is hurt for the Spurs, I think that's a really big deal. And so then I think San Antonio is the team you want to see in the play-in game. But for my for me, I think I want to see Phoenix Dick entertainment value. Um, I think. Devin Booker is really fun to watch. I think that if, particularly if the Suns are like undefeated and they, and they end up in the playing game, it would just be the two most fun teams. Um, I have kind of said on this podcast probably too many times for your liking that I don't have much emotional connection to the Blazers. I don't root for them in any, in any way. I just find myself mostly unable to root for them more than I'd like root against them. Um, but I want to see them play the Lakers. Memphis, San Antonio, Phoenix, those matchups are boring as hell to me. The Blazers with Damian Lillard versus LeBron James, that is interesting. So I am I want the Blazers to make the playoffs. It might be the first time I've ever out and out rooted for them to make the playoffs because it ju- it'll just be more entertaining. It's just a better series. 
Um, so yeah, I think Memphis and San Antonio are worse than Phoenix right now, but I think Phoenix is most entertaining. Okay, third segment, come back, answer more of your questions and close out the show. But first I want to tell you all about my bookie. Say it with me now, sports are back, baby. And that means it's time to get in on my bookie. My bookie has up to the minute odds on all your favorite teams and with baseball back and the NBA about to hit its full on playoff swing, there has never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, they pay. If you're feeling good about your team's chances this year, be sure to check out my bookie's World Series future bets. That's right, you can bet on baseball futures there and because nothing shows you believe in your squad like betting on them before the season is really in full swing before the playoffs have begun, before anyone's qualified, get in there. But why stop with baseball? Smart bettors are always looking towards the future. In that case, that means basketball. It means hockey. MyBookie is already accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and eventually NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%. Plus, they'll toss you a free... MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Lockdown Blazers. And we're still rolling with Mailbag Monday. Let's get into it. James in Beaverton asks, I think the Lakers are getting a raw end... A, the raw end with the current playoff format, the Blazers, as currently constructed, would have been a top team this year with a long break, are now a very dangerous possible ace seed. I think they are the fourth best team in the West behind the L.A. teams and right there with Houston, OKC, and Denver. Where would you rank this current Blazer team in the bubble? And do you think they would have made it to the second round from a higher seed? I want to say that James sent this email on Monday. He sent this after the weekend. James is a believer. He watched this team lose to the Clippers. He watched this team squeak by the Sixers. And he said, yo, this team is still the fourth best team in the West. And James, I am not there with you. In fact, do I think the Blazers are a top four team in the West? They're definitely better than they were during the regular season, uh, but they just—they don't have—they just have no depth. They—they—they they, they really just don't have enough good players to compete with those top teams in the West. Um, I think they can give the Blazers some pro—or the excuse me, the Lakers some problems, but no, I, I think this is without wings, without people who can play small forward. I don't. I guess I just don't. I don't know if you can't guard any big wings. I just how how good can you be in the Western Conference? How good can you be as a, like a high-level playoff team? They're definitely better than they were, but and if they were fully healthy with Hood and Ariza, maybe I wouldn't have hit you with the hell nod drop, but I got to keep it real. Alan Bourdillon, Trey Hearn, who I still still don't know if I'm getting that right, Alan. It's tea time now on Twitter asks, important things, who will replace Kevin Calabro? Please not Jordan Kent. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people don't love Jordan Kent's play-by-play skills. Um I don't know if Kevin who will replace Kevin Calabro. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it's Jordan Kent, just based on the way the Blazers do things. Um, that's just a guess. I've said this before. I'm not reporting anything. That's just my best guess. But I haven't heard anything, and I, to be totally clear, I haven't. I haven't asked. I haven't tried to hear anything either. So um, don't be surprised if it's Jordan Kent. Don't don't shoot the messenger. 
Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka28 asks, I stood by the Blazers letting Aminu and Harkless walk as I thought we had maxed out our potential with them. Collective pronoun, first one of the show, and that their offensive inconsistencies hurt us. There's our second one, too badly. I now regret my support of this and think we should have kept them. Would you have kept them? Uh, you couldn't keep Harkless. He was included in the Hassan Whiteside trade. Uh, that you needed his money to make that work. So he's that's a non-starter. They needed Whiteside because they needed a starting center. Imagine how bad they would have been with banking on Scalabissier and Pau Gasol and and Zach Collins to hold that down after Collins got hurt. That would they would have been in a, it would have been an even more nightmarish scenario. And quite frankly, it would have been irresponsible for them to. Uh, um, I guess they could have. They would have started Myers Leonard if they don't make the trade. But they just they would have been in a bad place. They wouldn't have been Hassan for all his faults made them held it down as well as you could you could have maybe hoped for someone of his quality and certainly better than their other options. But yeah, I've been on board. I've said this a bunch of times. Um, Alfred Camino had real deficiencies that showed up in the playoffs when teams could game plan specifically against them. But he had a level of competence that kept the Blazers afloat in. A t- as a multiple, you know, 50 plus win seasons, uh, and they have a gaping hole at power forward they still haven't filled. Uh, maybe you didn't want to pay him nine million a year for three consecutive seasons, but uh, th- I think you they're they're taking a drop they're taking a step back by not having him on the roster, and it's been obvious all year. So yeah, I would have been a fan of just paying the man, just paying the man. Next question from Lewis Olenek at Lewis R.S. Olenek on Twitter who asks, which former Blazer among those who've seen minutes for other teams during the Disney restart do you feel could most help? Frustrating to see Ed Davis as an afterthought at the end of the Jazz Benz. Yeah, he's, Ed Davis has been passed up completely by Tony Bradley this year in the Jazz rotation. He just never worked out. Uh, I think he's your best bet for, for guys, for other guys. Um, there aren't a ton of people who have, former Blazers who have seen minutes like, if you want Patty Mills or something like that, or Pat Connaughton. Um, I think Ed Davis, particularly the last couple games when they needed backup bigs, I think Ed Davis is better than Wenyan Gabriel. Um, maybe you disagree, but yeah, Ed Davis is my pick. Good choice, uh, Lewis, especially for a guy who's not uh, playing at all in the Jazz. He could help the Blazers, particularly when they were missing a son Whiteside. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter who asks, Zach has not been spectacular in these games. I lean towards wanting Hassan Whiteside back next year. On paper, Whiteside seems like a perfect backup center, but is letting him walk and giving Zach all the backup center minutes rather than making him play power forward the better path to success. Absolutely. I can't imagine Hassan Whiteside signs up to play 16 minutes a night beside Yusuf Nurkic. I think getting this view in Disney will will color Whiteside's decision making, help help inform his decision making. He's just not there's not enough minutes here. If Nurk's healthy, there's not enough minutes here. Um I don't love Zach as a power forward. I do really like Zach as a backup center. I like him as a particularly from what we've seen him just decision-making and foul-wise. I like him as a low-minutes player as opposed to a 30-minute-a-night guy. Um, until he qu- until he stops fouling so much, I think he's much better as a bench guy. Um, they they need to upgrade both forward spots, so maybe you just start Zach because you can't. it's hard to upgrade both and you pick the one you can upgrade. But for me, yeah, let, let Hassan go. Let Hassan go. He's... he's You've got your you've got your franchise center on the roster. You've got a, a decent backup and an okay power forward on the roster in Collins, paying Whiteside. I'm I'm just not a fan of. Samuel from Gmail gives us our next question. He says, "Is it just me, or has Dame been playing some elite on ball D? He controlled Jason Tatum and cooled him down after tor- torching us, and he held both Harden and Westbrook in check. I know they were trapping Harden, but there was some points where it was one on one. Harden only had 23, and Westbrook." 
with Westbrook having 17, both below their averages. Yeah, I think Dame's played better on-ball defense in the bubble, but the most damning thing you can say about the Blazers is that Damian Lillard has been their second-best perimeter defender, and that just, come on, that that's... That's not fair. But I do think Dame has been notably good. Uh, this email's like about a week old, so I think the Blazers have played some bad defensive games since then. But yeah, Dame has definitely looked as... He just looks engaged on defense, and he's willing to take on the challenge of guarding teams' best players, um, something that not maybe that he wouldn't have done in the past, but the Blazers wouldn't have asked him to do. And I think it's noteworthy that he's, he's accepted that challenge, um, although the last couple games maybe haven't showcased it. Next question comes from the CFO of Regicide. King Killer himself from Gmail who asked, will Nurk get a 5x5 five five in the bubble fouls count? If fouls count, Nurk got a 5x5 five five in his first game back against Memphis. He already did it. So yeah, he's doing it. He did it. Check. Final question comes from CJ at friggin' winning on Twitter who asks, the best rated defensive player on the active roster is CJ at number 20, 229. CJ says, while sharing the list of defensive win shares per game for NBA players. And CJ continues and says, Stotts often gives the line about other teams getting lucky when asked about the defense. Are the Blazers' defensive struggles a result of bad coaching, talent, or luck? The answer, unfortunately, is all three. The Blazers have don't have a very good defensive group. Dame, CJ, Carmelo Anthony is a really brutal triumvirate to be an elite defensive team. Could they be a more competent defensive team with better coaching? Probably. I think some of... I think Terry Stott's scheme in general, the like drop scheme, can make for a good defensive team. The Milwaukee Bucks run a relatively similar scheme, and they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. So it's not just it's not just this specific scheme doesn't work. But I don't know if this specific scheme w- works super well when the Blazers don't have length. I don't think being super aggressive would work either. But there's probably somewhere in between. And my biggest criticism of of the scheme is that the Blazers are allowed to soft switch. And by that, I mean they're allowed to, they don't have to fight over and get back to their man. They just say, if it's easier to switch one through four, and sometimes even with the center one through five, just go ahead and switch. Just keep your man in front of you. Just switch, which leads to guys passively switching for lazy reasons, or there's a miscommunication. Should we switch or should we not switch here? And that's... That's maybe a scheme thing. I think there should be stricter rules or maybe you maybe you, that's that's also a talent thing where guys don't understand, uh, don't have great natural reads about when to switch and when not to switch. I think you can be a really switchy team and be a good defensive team. I think you can be a drop scheme and be really good. But if guys are confused about when they're dropping, when they're switching, and it's inconsistent, and I don't know if that's all coaching or all just bad communication from guys, it leads to the Blazers being crappy on defense. And finally, the luck thing. In the bubble, Blazers' opponents are just shooting really well on wide-open threes. Eventually, that'll come back down. A little bit. A little bit. I think they're shooting 45% on wide-open threes. Let's say they go back down to about 40% on wide-open threes. I believe the league average was right around there. It was about 40, 40 and a half, basically 41% on wide-open threes. So maybe they get back down to league average. When they give up wide open looks, when they give up clean looks, they get back down to league average and that makes makes them look a little bit better. So they've had some bad luck, probably to the tune about nine points per game, maybe seven and a half if you really want to get granular there. But uh, it's it's I think I think it's talent first and foremost. I think it's scheme second. I think it's luck third, but it's all of them. And when you have them all, when you have bad defensive players, a scheme that maybe isn't as strict as it should be and some bad luck, 
You look like they've looked. So Terry Stotts is he's very, very cautious about being critical of players or even critical of his own coaching staff or maybe even of himself publicly. So don't listen to those interviews because Terry just he's just not going to own up to it in those settings. Um, You know, maybe months down the road, he'll own up to it. But in the moment, he just rarely does. He's very, very, very cautious about assigning blame in any way. But in this instance, there's some truth to what he's saying. But the biggest factor is that the Blazers have bad defensive players. And if you have bad defensive players, you're going to be a bad defensive team. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. I love Mailbag Monday. I love that we do it each week on this show. It's uh, something I really look forward to. If you want to get involved, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email me lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. And also tell your friends about this podcast. Let's help it the show grow. If you enjoy it and you've got a Blazers fan in your life, tell them to listen to the show. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.